All right, let's get started. If you have your Bibles, you can open to the book of John, chapter 3. That's where we'll, uh, we'll that'll be the first verse we read together. Um, let's, uh, let's begin in prayer. After you get your Bibles open, I had a single person request that we hold hands again during prayer, so I'm serious. So let's hold hands and pray. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Lord Jesus, we thank you that we are your body. We thank you, God, that you're with us. We pray, Father, that we will hear you speaking tonight. Uh, to us. Lord, I pray that you whisper in between the verses that we read and the words that I speak, that you will whisper to our hearts and that the author of life himself will make yourself known tonight in this place. God, we thank you for the days we're living in. We thank you for what you're doing and we bless your holy name. Amen. Amen. So we're, uh, we're in an exciting season as a church. Things are happening quickly. They have been for the last year. And I'm going to start a series tonight called Multiply that I think is an adequate word for what's happening in a lot of ways uh, in this church and in our community. And uh, tonight, uh, I'm going to talk uh, really just on the dynamics of movement and transition and how these apply to our lives and how this applies to us corporately as a church in this season as well. So I believe uh, that there's a, a big link, uh, bond bridge between doing transition well and then knowing the Lord as uh, El Shaddai, uh, the Lord, our provider, God who will provide for us. And so I'm going to begin just talking about uh, the Lord uh, as a provider. Uh, and then really that will kind of lead us to where we're going for the rest of the night. Uh, so we get, uh, we get this idea that the Lord, he's the Lord, our provider. We've said this before, right? Does anybody know a story he first reveals himself in this name to us through? Anybody? Just say it out. Okay, I'll tell you. Uh, it's on the mountain of Moriah with Abraham when he offers up Isaac. Uh, and we have this story. Most of us know it, right? Jesus, or the father speaks to Abraham, it's this test of his faith. Will you give your son? He takes Isaac up upon the mountain. He binds him. And in the moment where he lifts the knife uh, in the most sacrificial and painstaking act of obedience, perhaps ever recorded in Scripture, second to that of Jesus, uh, the ram gets caught in the thicket. The angel speaks, right? And in this moment, Abraham has this revelation. He says, the Lord, he's, he's El Shaddai. He's the Lord who will provide for us. He provides the sacrifice uh, New Testament, I like to link Old Testament to New Testament stories. Uh, I love when Jesus feeds the multitudes, when he multiplies bread, right? Anybody like this one? Have you ever heard Jim Gaffigan? He says, I think it's because Jesus was making focaccia bread. That's why everybody was following him. I still think that's kind of funny. <laughs> but anyways, whatever kind of bread you like, Jesus is multiplying this bread. Uh, but the story, I think we miss sometimes the story is kind of amazing. It starts with this kid uh, young person, we don't know how old, that says they're out in a desolate place and everybody's hungry and he's like the only one with a lunch. And he gives up his lunch to the Lord and that's what Jesus takes and multiplies. And I think sometimes we kind of overlook the sacrifice there. If you're like me, I get really hangry, right, when I'm hungry. And this kid gave up his lunch. Um, but I like the story because he gives to the Lord his lunch. He doesn't 
hold clenched to what is his, the Lord takes that and then multiplies it. All right, and the point I'm trying to make both these stories they have in common is that God doesn't provide, most frequently God does not provide in a vacuum. Right? He provides uh, as, as we open our hands to him. So uh, there's a posture that, of our hearts that actually positions us to receive what the Lord is wanting to give. Right? He gave the ram as, as Abraham gave Isaac. Right? He multiplied the food as the boy gave the food. Right? So there's this transaction taking place. And I believe that this is um, really, it's showing that there's a posture of trust and dependence, right, of open-handedness uh, that actually is what prepares us to receive what God wants to give. I believe he wants to pour out a lot of things upon us. He's a better provider than we think he is, but we've got closed fists sometimes, so we actually siphon ourselves off from the things that God is wanting to give. But he is El Shaddai, the Lord, our provider. Uh, something interesting when you do a study on the provision of the Lord is that God provides for where we're going. He doesn't provide for where we are. God provides for where we're going. He doesn't provide for where we are. So what that means is he puts provision in front of us that we actually have to, like, step into it. So his provision creates movement in our life, right? Uh, like Israel's in Egypt, and the Lord calls them out of Egypt, right? And it's like... We don't think sometimes it's like, go out into that wilderness where there's no food and water, right? You, they have to be thinking this, right? And as they follow God, they move, right? They, like, follow him. They actually step into the provision of the manna, right? And the bread starts, little wafer, wafers on the, on the top of the, the dirt. Yummy, 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 right? Kind of cool. You guys are, I'm warming you up. We'll get you there. Right? They step into provision. That's what I'm trying to say. He creates movement. God creates movement. We don't, he didn't give them the manna in Egypt and say, hey, you're going to get the manna here. They had to go to the wilderness to get the manna, right? And then they had to go from the wilderness to the promised land, and then God provided in a different way. You see what I'm saying? And the manna actually stopped once they got to the wilderness because God doesn't provide for where we are. He provides for where we're going. And so if we're going to step into the new places of God's provision in our life, we have to be constantly in this place of movement. And God creates this movement in the way that he provides for us. Right? We fall into a trap sometimes where we calculate our future based on our ability to provide for ourselves. We will, we'll like, sit and, you know, contemplate decision-making based on what we have within ourselves. My own possessions, my own resources, my own ability uh, to, right, like, maneuver myself in that next season, right? So we'll be thinking of a decision, we'll look into that decision, and we will calculate it based on what we can do, how much money we have in our bank account, yada, 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 what the odds are, or the statistics are, or is this smart, right? Are you following me? And we have like this huge, amazing tendency that we never calculate manna showing up. We never calculate that the bread would multiply. We never calculate that the ram's going to get caught in the thicket. We just calculate our end of the deal, right? And what this does is it actually keeps us static, right? We actually, it halts movement. And there's always this thing that I think is funny where we say, you know, I just want to be really responsible, right? I want to be responsible in my decision making. And I think this is a lot of times a big, fat cop-out. Um, tell that to Gideon. <laughs> Gideon, you need to be responsible. He's like, no, God said to send my army home, right? And, like, whittle it down to 300 dudes. That's not responsible, right? 
Tell that to David when he went to face Goliath on the battlefield as a young man with a slingshot. That's not responsible, right? Tell that to Jim and Kim and Jamie Stiefel, who like took a huge risk and moved their family for a church that wasn't even 100 people at the time, right? Uh, that's not responsible. There's nothing responsible about any of those things. And Jamie said it that night when he preached, and I think it's so good, that faith doesn't make sense. It makes miracles, right? And so our highest call is not to be responsible. What that word responsible is, is actually it's like worldly wisdom. It's I need to do only what I know I have within myself to maintain. I, what I am able to account for. Right? That's, that's what we mean by I need to be responsible. And we actually use that to then talk ourselves out of where we know that the Lord's leading us. Right? We rationalize ourselves out of faith. Right? Uh, the number one responsibility that any of us have in our life is to obey the voice of Jesus. That's our responsibility. That is what a responsible Christian does. I hear what he tells me to do, and I do it. Tells me to send my army home, I send my army home. Tells me to, you know, whatever, I do it. Tells me to move, tells me to quit my job, tells me this, tells me to stay at my job, tells me whatever it is, that's what responsibility looks like. And I would say that we don't want to be responsible, we want to be wise, we want to be full of wisdom. And so what does wisdom look like in that process as you take what you feel God's discerning to trusted people in your life, wise counsel, and you say, this is what God is saying, what does this confirm with you? You know, what do you feel? Does this resonate? You know, you like... You bring wise counsel into the word of Jesus and obey it. That's what responsibility is, right? That's what wisdom is. And I think that's what we want to be uh, because this, this responsibility is often calculated without God and it creates the static, static in our life. We don't change. We don't go. We're not moving because when we're not stepping into his provision. We're only operating out of ours. You guys are really quiet tonight. I'm guessing you're thinking. All right, so John, John 3, 8. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but do not know where it comes from and where it's going. So is everyone who's born of the Spirit. Who is born of the Spirit in this room? Amen. Who's a Christian? That's amazing. Some of you might not be, and that's, we're really amazed, happy that you're here. Uh, but we, you know, with this Spirit-filled Christian idea, right, we're born of the Spirit, born again in new creation in Christ. And Jesus is saying that people that are born, again, that are born of the Spirit are like the wind. You don't know where they're coming, you don't know where they're going. Wind might be the most transient, ever-changing thing on earth, right? There is a lot of movement in the wind. Can you think of wind void of movement? No, it doesn't exist. Wind is movement. The spirit is wind. The wind is movement. The spirit is movement. The born-again Christian, born of the spirit, is living a life of movement. Movement is exciting, right? Momentum is exciting. When things are growing, it's exciting. You want to be a part of these things, right? It's been exciting to see the last year this go from literally like a tiny little seed to a church, and we're going to double services, right, and all this stuff. That's exciting. Right? We're excited to see this stuff, right? Whoever's born of the Spirit 
should be like the wind, should be like movement. There should be this constant movement. There should be constant excitement. The Lord's actually been refining my mind and my thinking in this area, and I I really want to speak to this real quick before I move on, is that Jesus came. There's a prophecy in Isaiah that says, of the increase of his kingdom and of his government, there'll be no end. Right? And the Lord spoke to me recently. He said, Jordan, you need to renew your thinking. He said, if a church isn't growing, if there's not movement, he said, then there's something really wrong. He said, I'm always growing my kingdom. I'm always increasing. I'm not talking about it has to be getting bigger. It could be getting the reach further, right? It can be sending. It can be whatever. But there should be movement within a church. And I've actually been alarmed by some people say, there's so much movement. There's so much movement. The Lord said, this should be normal. And I was like, whoa, it's normal. He's like, yeah, this is normal. So we need to renew our minds and actually get our expectations to where it is normal to see movement in our lives. There should be movement in church, in our church. There should be movement in our families. There should be movement in our own devotional life with the Lord. Because whoever is born of the Spirit is like the wind, and the wind is always moving. And movement is excited. Movement, it brings an exhilaration. It brings inspiration. And we're seeing a lot of movement in these days. Movement in India. Movement here in Boise. I'm hearing testimonies all the time of movement in your life, movement in your work, movement. There's movement happening. This is super good, right? But movement also is difficult. Why is movement difficult? Because movement requires constant change. Who likes change? See, I am standing up here before you as probably someone on like the natural scale of how I do with change, like the bad side, like the worst side. Like I think fourth or fifth grade, the last day of school, I wept the whole way home. And I was happy it was summer, but I was weeping because school was over and there was change. Locked myself in my room, crying for hours. My mom thought something really bad happened to me. Kept knocking on that door. Are you okay? What happened? We opened the door after hours, finally opened up. What was the problem? School was over. (laughs) It's changing. Things are changing. It's a good change, but I'm... So sad, right? So this is not someone who, uh, do <laughs> my natural, I'm not like a free spirit one, you know, where it's like, well, whatever happens is rad, right? I'm like, I need to understand. <laughs> what are the implications of this change, right? Okay, that's just me. Okay, but change is resisted. Humans are perhaps the most resistant to change creatures on planet Earth, right? And this is we think that this is normal. We've like, oh, yeah, it's really normal. I struggle with change. Like, and we kind of make that like this normal kind of thing. When it's actually extremely not normal. Because probably the biggest constant in life on this planet is change. It is, the, it is guaranteed change. Biology change. Your body change. Your body's not as flexible as it was when you were a kid. I'm finding that out. So I'm getting a little older, right? I'm stiff. Right? You have kids that are little babies and then they go to college. That's a change. Right? I had lunch the other day at uh, Idaho Pizza Kitchen over there by like Hillcrest Country Club. You know what I'm talking about? Really big. Yeah, I was like, wow, this place is huge. Someone said, yeah, because it used to be a blockbuster. Do you know why it's not a blockbuster? Because of Netflix. <laughs> right? Because corporate America is always changing. In fact, companies are starting to invest so much money into research and development because at the rate that technology is changing, if they are not planning for tomorrow, today, when tomorrow comes, they're going to be in Idaho Pizza Kitchen. (laughs) Right? 
That is how sure change is. Everything's changing. Trees change. The seasons change. The weather changes. Your hair color changes. Fashion changes. Everything is always changing. And yet for some reason as humans, we get so resistant to change. And I don't want to pick on the church right now, but the church is like on the resistant side. If some people are so not resistant, the church has a tendency of being extremely resistant. And who's heard about sacred cows in churches? No, don't get rid of that ugly altar that's been up there since 1962 because his great-great-grandmother bought it, and they will be offended if you get rid of it. Right? So you've got a modern sanctuary with an altar from 1962, right? Because we cannot change. Right? That, like, you, I'm not exaggerating. Like, <laughs> there's funny stuff that's funny, but it's actually sad. Because it can become so resistant to change. Part of this is good because there's a, conservatory, there's a conservative aspect of Christianity that we're, we're, we're living for the faith that was once and for all handed down upon the saints. So there are unchanging aspects of the nature of God. right? Unchanging truth. The Bible doesn't change. Who Jesus is doesn't change. But there's a lot of things that do change all the time. Right? All the time. Why are we so resistant to change? I believe it's because there is an unhealthy or, or maybe a misinformed desire for security in our lives. Right? We, it's a good desire, but the desire gets perverted and it, 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 we, we want to create security. So if we can artificially manufacture our life so that things don't change, I don't have to experience vulnerability. Right? Because I can find security in my own power, in my own ability. Right? And this is why, this is why we calculate things without God. Because we're living in circumstances that we're manufacturing separated from him. So then when a, then he starts speaking, come over here, we start calculating with our own assets and resources again. Right? Because we're living in a poor reality at the First, the first place. Are you following me? Okay. All right. So human security uh, is extremely static. And I want to read a story that exemplifies this in Luke 12. So you can turn there. Just a few pages to the left from John 3. Well, uh, Luke 12, verse 16. It's called the parable of the rich fool. And Jesus told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no place to store my crops? Then he said, This is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your soul's required of you. And now, who will own what you've prepared? So is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. I don't want to completely unpack this parable, but I want to make a few, uh, a few insights that I see. The first thing is that he's getting abundance. Good things are happening in his life. Right? And this good thing actually starts creating some type of issue, right? There's conflict. What am I going to do with this extra stuff? Right? And God calls him a fool 
because he makes a poor decision. He tries to, instead of, he, he makes a poor assessment of the reality. Okay, I've got this much storage space, I've got this much blessing. And instead of, you know, looking outward and creating a posterity, he says, tonight your soul's required and who's going who's gonna to take all your possessions now? He literally puts all this work, tears all these things down to build bigger things so that he can manufacture so that nothing changes. Nothing changes. I can just create my same safe reality and say to my soul, be at peace, be at ease, you're good. All right, let me just keep storing and storing and storing. And when we try to find our security in our circumstances, that's what we do. We just try to, like, get everything bigger and better, like the American dream. Am I pushing on anybody right now? Right? Let me get bigger and better. Just build a bigger barn and get more of this and more of that and completely just make it so that my life is static. And, right? and it creates this staticness. Let me just build, and it's all about me making sure that I feel that I'm at ease. I have security. And God says, you're a fool. This night, your soul's required of you. And all you're doing is just trying to create security for yourself. You didn't even have eyes to see anybody else. Right? And human security does just that. It's static. It's very static because human security is found in our circumstances. It's found in how much money we have in our bank. It's found in like my 401k and my future and my plans and all the things that I can account for. That's where human security is found. It's in our circumstances. And so why would someone that's finding security in their circumstances be resistant to change? Because now you're messing with my source of security. No, 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 no. Don't change anything. I want to stay just like it is. That way I feel safe. And I can say to my soul, be at ease. Just chill out. You don't need to do anything. God says, no, your soul's required of you. Right? Godly security, kingdom security, is found in the Father of lights who gives without variation or shifting shadow. Good things, always. He's always good. And he's the provider. And he's the source of security. So it's not found in my circumstances. It's found in God. It's found in the reality that I am vulnerable. That we live on a planet that is a little rock or orbiting around a nuclear explosion that is like light years away from any other closer nuclear explosion. And we can't even get to the next one in the fastest ship we have in our lifetime. And there's a hundred million of them in our galaxy. And there's like a hundred billion galaxies and we can't even get close to those. And we think that we can create security in our circumstances. Oh my gosh, we have a thin layer of gas that keeps us alive. Whoa, that is vulnerable. And we think I can tear down my barns and get bigger ones, and I'm safe. <laughs> I think God gets a kick out of this sometimes. He's like, you think that's going to get you safe? Oh, my gosh, everything is changing all the time. It's like all of life is screaming, you're vulnerable, you're vulnerable, you're vulnerable. How did you get here? Why are you here? What's your purpose? Well, I have a story I can read about how we got here, but honestly, God, we kind of forgot. We don't really know how we got here. Just somewhere now, my great, 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 I think he's named Adam, and I, we came to the earth. Well, how Adam get here? From the dust, right? <laughs> like, we don't know. That's vulnerable. 
And I'm not trying to say I don't believe in the scripture. I do. I'm just saying, but this is like by faith. This isn't by sight. Right? I didn't see how man got here. It's kind of a mystery. That's vulnerable. Are you serious? So we're live. We come to this earth as this vulnerable little thing trying to figure out what life is. And when we don't know that we have a provider that loves us and loves to give, and he will be faithful in every season of our soul, what we do is we create security, and then we siphon ourselves off because we take his blessings and we hold them like this. And then he wants to give, and we have no capacity to receive. This is a shame. This is a tragedy. When I was, uh, when I was in Israel uh, years ago now, me and my brother went on kind of a pilgrimage, which was very, un- it was more comfortable for him than it was for me, because like I said, I, I don't do change. And when you don't have a place to stay and you're on an airplane flying to another country, let me just say, it was very uncomfortable for me. And that was like the whole three months, sleeping out in the wilderness, sleeping all kinds of places, doing that, like the most vulnerable experience of my life. And in that place, God revealed himself as provider again and again and again. I cannot even begin to tell you all the miracles that happened, but amazing miracles of God's provision. Literally one day in a hospital with no food, we'd been there all day as my brother was sick, and uh, a, sh- a lady from Sri Lanka like, came and said, are you hungry? We're like, yeah. And she comes in, in a nursing gown, comes and gives us a tray heaping full of food, and I'm like, thank you. Never saw her again for three days. And saw all the nurses on rotation. Never saw her again. The missionary that we were staying with said, so sorry. I know they don't give you food at this hospital. We're like, oh, no, man. He gave me so much food, I couldn't even eat it all. And he's like, what? And I was like, yeah, this lady from Sri Lanka showed up. He's like, must have been a Sri Lankan angel. And all of a sudden, I was like, <laughs> I was like, what the heck? So I was back there three days. Never saw the woman again. So I have a question for Jesus when I get there. But regardless, she was an angel to me. I don't know. Uh, had a guy show up on the side of the road, give us directions to where we were not supposed to go, but said, if you go this way, someone's going to pick you up in a car and take you where you're supposed to go. And it happened. Like, the craziest acts, coincidences, things, people giving us mungy, strangers directing us to the right places. Like, I was literally mind blown by seeing how much my God loved providing for me. I thought I was going to be sleeping on a sidewalk one night, and he sent two people who literally took us, led us to a place, paid for a hotel room, and then gave us cash the next morning at 5 a.m. That was the entire amount of money that we'd spent the first month we'd been there. It was blowing my mind. It was like I'd heard all the stories for other people, but it became real for me. And you know what I did? This is what I did. Like, literally, we saved, we saved money by fasting in the wilderness for a week and sleeping in a hammock. It's probably not very smart. But we did it so that we could save up $150 to go on this cheap cruise through the Mediterranean because we figured if we save this much money, we can go on this cruise, then we can eat because we're starving, right? <laughs> so we get on this cruise ship. You know how cruises are. You got, like, the whole thing, and they just love bread in Israel. Everything's bread, 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 at least on this cruise boat it was. And we're eating it. It's like this all you can eat, but we sure as heck know that we just spent all our money and we get off that boat and we have seven days before my mom showed up. She she had money, but we didn't. She didn't know that. We were like, welcome to Israel, mom. Now you can pay for all our food in our hotels. Because we've been living like homeless people. So we but we got seven days from when we get off the boat to when mom gets there. And I'm like, I just did a fast in the wilderness. I'm not doing that again. That was hell, right? 
So what do I start doing? We're eating in this all-you-can-eat buffet, and I start bringing my little satchel bag and start taking the bread and just kind of like <laughs> st st sticking it in there. I'm not kidding you. I had a pile of bread probably three and a half feet tall in our little in our room on the cruise boat because I was saving up. We were going to have rations. I was going to eat for those seven days before mom gets there, right? So it's going super good, and I'm reading my Bible just devouring the word in this season, and I turn my Bible to Proverbs one day. I'm reading in Proverbs 20, and I'll never forget this day because it was quite convicting. After all, these, uh, after all these miracles of provision, I'm sitting there in my bed reading my Bible, and it's Proverbs 20, 17. Bread obtained by falsehood is sweet to a man, but afterward his mouth will be filled with gravel. <laughs> I look to the left, see a pile of bread. <laughs> I'm not kidding, three feet tall. And I was like, crap. <laughs> the Lord said, throw it away. And I was like, how do I even do that? That's vulnerable now. Like, walking through this cruise boat with all this bread. So I went and got a tray from the cafeteria, filled that thing to the top, and like at 2 in the morning, went running through the boat and got rid of it all. And the Lord literally spoke to me, and he said, how many times do I have to show you I'm your provider? And the first thing you do is you start stealing bread so that you can make sure you got enough for the next seven days. He was like, haven't I shown you enough? Right? We are so prone to clinch. Now I've got something, I'm clinching. I don't want to change. I don't want to change. I'm staying right here. And we are siphoning ourselves from the blessing of God. So I'd like to propose that open hands is the posture that God wants us to live our lives in. Open to the continuing change and transition that we will experience for the rest of our life on earth. And uh, that is what I want to speak specifically right now into this season as a church, is that we uh, are entering uh, a form of uh, a season of change. And this is exciting. It's amazing. Uh, this is because of blessing. This is because the Lord's entrusting us with something beautiful. Uh, we've heard so many testimonies. People, this is my family. This is my community. I'm experiencing God. And I've heard a lot of people, I'm afraid. I'm afraid. What happens when this revival group stops and then there's four? What happens when service isn't just one family and it goes to two? What happens? Like we start asking these questions, right? And we forget that this is God's creation, not ours. Now, this was 10 people not even a year ago. Right? And now it's this. And it's easy to start, no, no, no. I don't want to lose this. I've been praying so long for this. I've been praying so long for this community. And we start forgetting. We start clinging to the blessing and not to the blesser. Uh, we're cultivating something that people are looking for. So they're coming. This is exciting. Uh, but it is scary. Um, and we have to remember, why are we changing? We're changing to further the mission of God. Because there's more people that are looking for family. There's more people that are hungry and craving for what so many of us have found in this room. And who are we to withhold that from other people because we're afraid of change, right? Change is difficult because there is death in change. What is is passing away, but we have to recognize that he's the provider in every season, every season of the soul, including this one. I'm going to close with this story from Genesis 13 that I think really embodies uh, what, what I would love to see us as a church and as a movement really capture. 
uh, over these next, uh, these next months that will have its difficulties, undoubtedly. Uh, this is a story of Abraham, Abram and Lot. Uh, and I'll just read a few verses and then I'll unpack it. Uh, it says, Abram was very rich in livestock and silver and gold. And he went on his journey from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai, to the place of the altar which he had made there formerly. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. Now Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, and the land could not sustain them while dwelling together, for their possessions were so great that they weren't able to remain together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. Uh, verse, skipping to verse 8. So Abram said to Lot, Please let there be no strife between you and me, nor between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we're brothers. The whole land is before you. Please separate from me. If to the left, then I'll go to the right. Or if to the right, then I'll go to the left. Lot goes to uh, the, the well-watered um, garden. Abram goes the other way. And then in verse 14, the Lord says to Abram. Abram's now walked through this transition. The Lord comes to him, says, Lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, and westward. For all the land which you see, I'll give it to you and to your descendants forever. I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth, so that if anyone can number the dust of the earth, then your descendants can also be numbered. Uh, this is an amazing story, uh, and I think it really has a lot to say right now to us. Um, Lot and Abram are sojourners in a foreign land, so they're very vulnerable. Abraham has a promise from God that he'll be a father of a great people, right? So when you're becoming a great people, the last thing that you want to see is separation, right? When you're saying, I want to do a great thing with lots of people influence, you're saying, well, I want to stay together, right? That's what you think. I want to make this, I don't want this to change, right? And they're being blessed by God. They're Things are growing. Their herds are growing. Their flocks are growing. They have a lot of blessing. Abram was a blessed man of God. Everything was growing. But because of the growth, there had to be a separation. Right? And the interesting thing about church is we always have this thing that we want to be, we want to, like, we have to stay like we are. But they actually say, like, if you do uh, psychological studies uh, or soci sociological studies, uh, uh, after about a, a community gets to 100 to 150 people, it actually starts self-sabotaging itself because they're not made to be that big. They have to multiply for health to come. Right? That's why even with Abraham later in life, it multiplies from one man to 12, the 12 tribes. Right? And then you can see further division of the people and the multiplication. Right? And they get into different, different pockets. So this multiplication thing is extremely healthy. Uh, and it's actually necessary uh, if we're going to see the healthy growth and if Abraham's going to see the promise of God fulfilled in his life. Uh, but Abraham does something very, uh, very countercultural and radical that we miss if we don't really uh, glean from this. And that's that he looks at Lot, who's his nephew, so much younger. This is a patriarchal society. So whose choice was it? Where to go? A hundred percent Abraham's. A hundred percent Abraham's. But Abraham does something that I think gives us a peek to his heart, because he was the man of faith, not looking uh, to the earth, but looking to a city that has foundations, whose builder and maker is God, right? He was looking to the promise. He wasn't looking to his own ability, and I think this really highlights it. He looks at his nephew, who he could have told what to do, and he says, hey, you choose. You go this way. I'll go that way. You go that way. I'll go this way. And he, he forfeits his right to control 
the situation and he gives it away, which I think is plenty grounds to show the posture of Abram's heart before the Lord. He was not looking to himself to be the fulfiller of the promise of God. He was looking to God's faithfulness. It wasn't about his ability, because if it was about his ability, let me go find the good land that looks really nice, that's green. That's where Lot goes. I'm going to go to the good place so that I can continue growing my family really big so that I can fulfill this word of the Lord. I just don't want anything to change. Right? He doesn't take control. He yields it. And it's such an insight to the heart of Abraham. This is an impossible promise. God's the faithful fulfiller. I'm just going to do what I'm called to do. Right? And he blesses Lot. He lets Lot go. He lets freedom govern a transition, which is how transition should be governed. We get afraid sometimes in control. Who's felt control in a time of vulnerability and transition before? It's not because people's hearts are bad. It's because they're just trying to, I need to, I don't want to change. Instead of open-handed. Abraham is open-handed. You want to go left? You want to go to the right? He follows, he goes where he keeps his word, and then he steps into provision, the word of the Lord, and he speaks, look, this is yours. He confirms to a man who's experiencing vulnerability, I'm going to fulfill my promise. Look, your descendants are going to be more than the dust of the earth. <laughs> That's crazy. Could you imagine believing that? The dust of the earth. But we're here today, and we're descendants of the faith of that man who was open-handed before the Lord and could receive the provision of God. I believe that as a church, God's just getting started of what this is supposed to be. And I honestly can tell you, I'm confessing to you, I'm not quite sure what he's doing here. I'm not quite sure it's different, it's unique. I have a spiritual director that's probably close to 80 years old that's been in ministry for more than four decades. And he says, what's happening here is not normal. And he always challenges me. He's like, you, don't need, you need to think different, Jordan. He's like, you need to think. And I, we are just trying to always discern, God, what are you doing? And I believe that this transition, that this season of multiplication, it's going to be difficult for some people. Relationships change. Things are different. Groups are different. You see, like, it's different. Services are different. It, maybe it feels different. And it can be such a trap of hell. No, let's just try to make it back what it was. Instead of just trusting that God is leading us to this place, we have drenched this thing in prayer. And I believe that we corporately are stepping into the provision of God, and he's going to continue speaking. And say, now look, here, here's the provision. Here's what I'm doing. Here's what I'm saying. Trust me. Trust that I'm building this thing, not you. Don't try to control it. Don't get upset. Just let it flow. Be like the wind. And let my movement keep going. And it might look different. And I'm telling that to you, but I'm telling that to me. I don't know what it's supposed to look like. I don't know if it's supposed to be big or wide or deep. I, I, it could look so different, but we're going to see God do something, and that's what we all are longing to see. Amen? Amen. He is faithful, and when we trust him with this gift that he's given us, when we lay this down, what is right now, lay it down, he will be faithful to give. Because he is El Shaddai. He is the Lord, our provider. And he will outdo our expectations because he is better than we think he is. Amen. 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 All right. I'm going to close now um, with some practical stuff because I need help. We need help. Uh, we have needs. Things are changing. It's growing. It becomes more of a, uh, more of a thing, more of an organizational structure that... 
whoo, it was faster than I thought. And all of a sudden, my, like, admin is growing. I'm like, wow, I have a pet monster. It's named administration. It's like a dog, but it bites you all the time. <laughs> but we need help. So we have a volunteer fair tonight. We have things changing on the 10th. When we go double services, we have more volunteer needs. Right? We have a commitment that as we grow, we're really going to focus on two spaces that we would ask you to give, which is your time Sundays and invest in communities. That's it. I don't want this to be a thing where your whole life is wrapped around Riverhouse. We're to serve you to be successful at living the gospel. You're not to serve us to make us successful, right? Ultimately, but we do need help. I think everyone can give a little, and then it will bear fruit in your lives. And so with Sundays, we need help on Sundays is really what it is. And if this is a place that you're coming a lot, we need your help. And we have a volunteer fair out there, which is a booth of every ministry that we have in the church. Creative Arts, which is a new one. Uh, Usher, security team, worship team, student ministries, prayer ministry, first impressions ministry. I know I'm forgetting something, but they are all out there and they are beautiful. And the leaders are sitting there and they, are, they really need your help. So if you can just go talk to them, ask them what their needs are, and then really pray about what your investment can look like. With two services, we need twice as much work, twice as much help. So uh, if you can do that, that would be awesome, and, uh, and we would love to talk to you. Um, specific needs, just so that you know, our biggest needs, we need, more, uh, we need more ushers, security team. We need more sound AV people. Lisa and Brad, they serve us every single week. Yeah. Here early helping, doing behind the scenes, no, no glamour, nobody says anything. They do it every week, and we want to get more people trained to take pressure off them. Um, we still need musicians. Drum, drummer and guitar are the biggest needs there. There's just needs, and I know that God's put it on us, and this is something that we're doing together. And so if you can help in any way, we so appreciate that. Um, secondly, I've had a few questions. I just want to answer two of them real quick. Um, the first one is that uh, pre-service prayer will be in the Caiaphate room at 4 o'clock. Um, before the 5 a.m. the 5 p.m. service um, for people who've asked that and then secondly Tuesday a.m. prayer which has been at a house is going to now be here in the sanctuary starting September 12th um, so we'll have it and that will be at 6 a.m. Um, so again I don't like to ask for people's evenings but I will ask for your early mornings because I believe prayer moves mountains so that will be here 6 a.m. on Tuesdays um, other than that the other the only other request that I have for you all is that we have permission to use the HealthWise building across the street for parking so can I get a, a poll of the lingerers in here who likes to linger after church talk 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 yeah raise your hand high you know who you are I kick you out every single week Right? Okay, lingers. We love lingering, okay? I tell people we have a, a unique manifestation of the spirit called lingering here. People don't leave until we kick them out. It's cool. But the 5 p.m. service, if you're coming to 5 p.m. service, we need parking space for the 7 p.m. service. What that means is if you're a lingerer, you can park across the street and you can linger all night long. You could stay till 9 p.m. if you want. Now come to second service, but just park over there. Uh, and, and that will help us greatly in having some more time between our transition services. So that's it for practical. Um, we'll be given a little bit more kind of in the time to come. But again, next week will be 6 o'clock. Week following will be 5 and 7. We are so blessed for you to have each one of you. We're thrilled to see what God's doing. And we're so excited uh, for what the future holds. So if you can all stand, I'm going to pray. And I'm going to release you uh, to the volunteer fair. Get excited. This is happy.
And I also, uh, you, if you're on prayer team tonight, you can come forward. We do always want to create an opportunity and a space for you to receive prayer. And if you were ministered to by this message, I, I want you um, specifically to receive prayer around transition. So, Lord, I thank you that you are creating movement in our midst. You are transitioning us, God. I know uh, that corporately what's going on, I know it is, uh, it is just as true uh, individually for many people in our body tonight, God, that you are teaching us to let go and let God. You're teaching us to let go of the things that we're so prone to hold so tightly to and to trust that you're the provider. So I pray tonight, God, for a revelation that you are the Lord who provides for his kids, that you go out of your way to extravagantly demonstrate the depth of your goodness to the ones that you love. I pray that you break off the orphan mindsets, that you break off the things that, that make us want to clinch so tightly to what is and causes us to miss out on, on the things that are coming, that the things are to be. God, I, 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 we want your fullness. We are pilgrims on a journey. We are not made to be static. We are made to be like the wind. So I ask for the wind of the Holy Spirit to create movement in our lives, God, for sails that have been flat because they've been not under tension because we're afraid to pull the rope. I pray that we will pull the rope and we will let the wind of your spirit fill the sails of our heart and move us forward into the calling, the upward calling of God in Christ Jesus upon us as a people, upon us as families, upon us as individuals. God, we bless you. We honor you. We lift up your holy name, God, and we give you great praise in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you all. We love you. If you want prayer, you can come forward and you can also uh, go to that volunteer fair. We made it so you cannot escape it. It will just sandwich you in out there. So bless you and we'll see you all next week.